0: Good morning! I hope you're ready for Part 2 of U.S. President number 11, James K. Polk. Early War In May 1846, Taylor led for U.S. forces to the inconclusive Battle of Palo Alto, the first major battle of the war. The next day, Taylor led the army to victory in the Battle of Resaca de la Palma, in the possibility of a Mexican incursion in the United States. Taylor's force moved south towards Monterrey, which served as the capital of the province of Nueva León. In the September 1846 Battle of Monterrey, Taylor defeated a Mexican force led by Ampudia, but allowed Ampudia's forces to withdraw, much to Polk's consternation. Meanwhile, Winfield Scott, the Irish-known Major General at the outbreak of the war, was offered the position of top commander in the war. Polk or Secretary Macy and Scott agreed on a strategy in which the U.S. would capture northern Mexico and then pursue a favorable peace settlement. However, Polk and Scott experienced mutual distrust from the the beginning of their relationship in part due to Scott's Whig affiliation and former robbery with Andrew Jackson. Additionally, Polk sought to ensure that both Whigs and Democrats would serve in important positions in the war and was offended when Scott suggested otherwise. Scott also angered Polk by opposing Polk's effort to... Increased number of generals having been alienated from Scott, Polk ordered Scott to remain in Washington, leaving Taylor in command of Mexican operations. Polk also ordered Commodore Connor to allow Santa Ana to return to Mexico from exile and sent an army expedition led by Stephen W. Kearney towards Santa Fe. While Taylor fought the Mexican army in East, U.S. forces took control of California and New Mexico. Army Captain John C. Fremont led settlers in Northern California in an attack on the Mexican garrison in Sonoma. Beginning the Bear Flag Revolt in August 1846, American forces under Kearney captured Santa Fe, capital of the province of New Mexico. He captured Santa Fe without firing a shot as the Mexican Governor Manuel Armijo fled from the province after a provisional of a government in New Mexico. Kearney took a force west to aid in the conquest of California after Kearney's departure, Mexicans and Pueblans rebelled against the provisional government in the Taos revolt, but U.S. forces crushed the uprising. At roughly the same time that Kearney captured Santa Fe, Commodore Robert F. Stockton landed in Los Angeles and proclaimed the capture of California. Californian Niels rose up in rebellion against the U.S. occupation, but Stockton and Kearney suppressed the revolt with a victory in the Battle of La Mesa. After the battle, Kearney and Fremont became embroiled in a dispute over the settlement of a government in California. The controversy in Fremont and Kearney led to a break between Polk and the powerful Missouri Senator Thomas Hart Benton, who was the father in law of Fremont. Growing domestic resistance while Up Opposition to the war grew after 1845, while some Democrats lost their initial enthusiasm. In August 1846, Polk asked Congress to appropriate $2, $2 million in hopes of using that money as a down payment for the purchase of California in the treaty with Mexico. Polk's request ignited opposition to the war, as Polk had never before made public his desire to annex parts of Mexico, aside from lands claimed by Texas. A fresh Democratic Congressman David Wilmot of Pennsylvania offered an amendment known as the Wilmot Proviso that would ban slavery in any newly acquired lands. The Appropriations Bill, including the Wilmot Proviso, passed the House with the support of Northern Whigs and Northern Democrats, breaking the normal pattern of partisan division in congressional votes. Wilmot himself held anti-slavery views, but pro-slavery Northern Democrats voted for the bill out of anger at Polk's perceived bias towards the South. The Partition of Oregon, the debate over the terror, the Van Buren's antagonism towards Polk all contributed to Northern Anger. The Appropriations Bill, including the ban on slavery, was defeated in the Senate, but the Wilmot provision injected the slavery debate into national politics. Polk's Democrats would pay a price for the resistance to the war and the growing issue of slavery as Democrats lost control of the House in 1846 elections, however, in the 1840s, in, of the House, in the 1846 elections. However, in early 1847, Polk was successful in passing a bill of raising further regiments, and he also finally won approval for the money he wanted to use for the purchase of California. Late War Santa Ana returned to Mexico City in September 1846, declaring that he would fight against the Americans, with the duplicity of Santa Ana now clear, and with the Mexicans declining his peace offers. Polk ordered an American landing in Vera Cruz, the most important Mexican port on the Gulf of Mexico. As a march from Monterey to Mexico City was implausible due to rough terrain, Polk had decided that a force would land in Veracruz and then marched on Mexico City. Taylor was ordered to remain near Monterey while Polk reluctantly chose Winfield Scott to lead the attack on Veracruz. Though Polk continued to distrust Scott, Marcy, and the other cabinet members prevailed, on Polk to select the army's most senior general for the command. In March 1847, Polk learned that Taylor had ignored orders and had continued to march south, capturing the northern Mexican town of Saltillo. Taylor's army had repulsed a larger Mexican force, led by Santa Ana in February, in, the, in the February 1847 Battle of Buena Vista. Taylor won acclaim for the result of the battle, but the theater remained inconclusive. Rather than pursuing Santa Ana's forces, Taylor withdrew back to Monterey, Meanwhile Scott landed in Villa Cruz and quickly won control of the city. Following the capture of Villa Cruz, Pope dispatched Nicholas Trist became his chief clerk to negotiate a peace treaty with Mexican leaders. Trist was ordered to seek the cession of Esalta, California, New Mexico, and Baja California recognition of the Rio Grande as the southern border of Texas and American access across the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. In April 1847, Scott defeated the Mexican force led by Santa Ana at the Battle of Cerro Gordo, clearing the way for a march on Mexico City. In August, Scott defeated Santa Anna again at the Battle of Contreras and the Battle of Churubusco. With these victories over a larger force, Scott's army was positioned to besiege Mexico's capital. Santa Ana negotiated a truce with Scott and the Mexican foreign minister, Notified Trist that they were ready for to begin negotiations to end the war. However, the Mexican and American ne- delegations remained far apart on terms. Mexico was the only willing, Mexico was only willing to yield portions of Alta California and still refused to agree to the Rio Grande border. While negotiations continued, Scott captured the Mexican capital in the battle for Mexico City. In the United States, a heated political debate emerged regarding how much of the Mexico. The United States should seek to annex, with Whigs such as Henry Clay arguing that the United States should only seek to settle the Texas border question, and some expansions argued arguing for the annexation of all of Mexico. Frustrated by the lack of progress and negotiations and troubled by rumors that Trist was willing to negotiate on the Rio Grande border, Polk ordered Trist to return to Washington. Polk decided to occupy large portions of Mexico and wait for a Mexican peace officer offer an Late 1847, Polk learned that Scott had court-martialed a close ally of Polk's, Gideon Johnson Pillow. Outraged by that event, Polk demanded his cousin return to Washington with William Orlando Butler, tapped as his replacement. Peace: The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, in September 1847, Manuel de la Pena y Pena replaced Santa Anna as president of Mexico, and Pena and his Moderado allies showed a willingness to negotiate based on the terms. Polk had relayed to Trist. In November 1847, Trist received Polk's order to return to Washington at a period of indecision and with the backing of Scott and the Mexican government, which was aware that Polk had ordered Trist's recall. Trist decided to enter into negotiations with the Mexican government, as Polk had made no plans to send an envoy to replace him. Trist thought that he could not pass up the opportunity to end the war on favorable terms, though Polk was outraged by Trist's decision he decided to allow Trist some time to negotiate a treaty. Throughout January 1848, Trist regularly met with Mexican officials in Guadalupe, Hidalgo, a small town north of Mexico City. Trist was willing to allow Mexico to keep Lower California, but successfully haggled for the inclusion of the important harbor of San Diego in the secession of Upper California. The Mexican delegation agreed to recognize the Rio Grande border, while Trist agreed to have the United States cover prior American claims such as the Mexi- against the Mexican government. The two sides also agreed to the right of Mexicans in annexed territory to leave or become U.S. citizens, American responsibility to prevent cross-border Indian raids, protection of church property, and a $15 million payment to Mexico. On February 2, 1848, Trist and the Mexican delegation signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Polk received the document on February 19th, and after the cabinet met on the 20th, decided he had no choice but to accept it. If he turned it down with the House by then controlled by the Whigs, there was no reassurance Congress would vote funding to continue the war. Both Buchanan and Walker dissented, wanting more land from Mexico. Some senators opposed the treaty because they wanted to take the No Mexican territory. Others hesitated because of the irregular nature of trips and negotiations. Polk waited in suspense for two weeks as the Senate considered it sometimes hearing that it would likely be defeated and that Buchanan and Walker were working against it. On March 10th, the Senate ratified the treaty in a 38-14 to 14 vote that cut across partisan and geographic lines. The Senate made some notifications to the treaty and Polk worried that the Mexican government would reject the new terms. Despite those fears, on June 7 Polk learned that Mexico had ratified the treaty. Polk declared the treaty in effect as of July 4, 1848, thus ending the war. The Mexican Cession added 600,000 square miles of territory to the United States, including a long Pacific coastline. The treaty also recognized the annexation of Texas and acknowledged American control over disputed territory between the Nueces River and the Rio Grande. Mexico, in turn, received $15 million. The war had cost the lives of nearly 14,000 Americans and 25,000 Mexicans, and it cost the United States roughly $100 million. With the exception of the territory acquired by the 1853 Gadsden Purchase, the territory acquisition under Polk established modern borders of the contigu- contiguous United States. Post war and territories Polk had been anxious to establish a territorial government for Oregon once the treaty was effective in 1846, but the matter became embroiled in the arguments over slavery, though few thought Oregon suitable for that institution. A bill to establish an Oregon territorial government passed the House. At the BNS amended to the bar slavery, the bill died in the Senate when the opponents ran out the clock on the congressional session. A resurrected bill, still barring slavery, again passed the House in 1847, but it was not considered by the Senate before Congress adjourned in March. By the time Congress met again in December, California and New Mexico were U.S. were in U.S. hands, and Polk in his annual message urged the, the territorial governments in California, New Mexico, and Oregon. The Missouri Compromise itself the issue of the geographic reach of slavery within the Louisiana Burgess territories by prohibiting slavery in states north of the 36-degree, 30-minute latitude, but Polk sought to extend this line into the newly acquired territory. If extended to the Pacific, this would have made slavery illegal in Northern California, but would have allowed it in Southern California. A plan to accomplish the extensions was defeated in the House by a bipartisan alliance of Northerners. As of the last Congressional session before the 1848 election came to a close, Polk signed the lone territorial bill passed by Congress, which established the territory of Oregon and prohibited slavery in it. When Congress convened in December 1848, Polk again called for the establishment of territorial governments in New York, in California and New Mexico, a task made especially urgent by the onset of the California Gold rush, However, the divisive issue of slave block in such legislation. Polk may clear that he would veto a territorial bill that would have had the laws Mexico apply to the Southwest Territories though Congress considering it would be the Wilmot Proviso and another guys. Guys, it was not until the Compromise of 1850 that the matter of the territories was resolved. Other initiatives, Polk's ambassador to the Republic of New Granada, Benjamin Alden Bidlack, negotiated the Malarino-Bidlack Treaty with the government of New Granada. Though Bidlack had initially only sought to remove tariffs on American goods, Bidlack and New Granada Foreign Minister Manuel Maria Mal- Malarino negotiated a broader agreement that deepened military and trade ties between the two countries. The, trade, the treaty also allowed for the construction of the Panama Railway, In an era of slow overland travel, the treaty gave the United States a route to more rapidly travel between its eastern and western coasts. In exchange, Bidluck agreed to have the United States guarantee new Granada's sovereignty over the Isthmus of Panama. The treaty won ratification of both countries in 1848. The agreement held to establish stronger American influence in the region as the Polk administration sought to ensure that Great Britain would not dominate Central America. The United States would use the Mal- Malarino Bidlock Treaty as justification for numerous military interventions in the 19th century. In mid 1848, President Polk authorized his ambassador to Spain, Ramones Mitchell Sanders, to negotiate the purchase of Cuba and offer Spain up to $1 million, $100 million, in an astounding sum at the time for one territory equal to $2.96 billion in present day terms. Cuba was close to the United States and had slavery, so the idea appealed to Southerners, but was unwelcome in the North. However, Spain was still making huge profits in Cuba, notably in sugar, molasses, rum, and tobacco, and thus the Spanish government rejected Saunders' overtures. Though Polk was eager to acquire Cuba, he refused to support the proposed filibuster expedition of Narciso Lopez, who sought to invade the annexed Cuba. Domestic Affairs The tariff of 1842 had set relatively high tariff rates and Polk made a reduction of tariff rates the top priority of his domestic agenda, though he had taken an ambivalent position on the tariff during the 1844 campaign in order to win Northerners, Northern votes. Polk had long opposed the high tariff. Many Americans, especially in the North, favored high tariffs as a means of protecting domestic manufacturing from foreign competition. Polk believed that protected tariffs were under unfair to other economic activities and he favored reducing tariff rates to the minimum level necessary for funding the federal government. Upon taking office, Polk directed Secretary of the Treasury Walker to draft a law that would lower tariff rates, though the foreign policy and other issues prevented Congress and the administration from focusing on tariff reductions in 1845 and early 1846. Walker worked with Congressman James Ivor McKay to develop a tariff reduction bill. In April 1846, McKay reported the bill out of the House Ways and Means Committee for consideration by the full House of Representatives. After intense lobbying by both sides, the bill passed the House on July 3rd with the vast majority of favorable votes coming from Democrats. Consideration then moved to the Senate and spoke intensely. Robbied a group of wavering senators to assure passage of the bill. In a close vote that required Vice President Dallas to break a tie, Senate approved the tariff bill in July 1846. Dallas from protectionist Pennsylvania voted for the bill because he decided that his best political prospects lay in supporting the administration following the congressional passage of the bill. Polk signed the Walker Tariff into law, substantially reducing the rates that had been set by the tariff of 1842. The Walker Tariff remained in into place until the passage of the Tariff of 1857, staying in effect longer than any other tariff measure of the 19th century. The reduction of tariffs in the United States and the repeal of the Corn Laws in Great Britain led to a boom in Anglo-American trade, and in large part due to growing international trade, the economy entered a strong period of growth in the late 1840s. Banking Policy In his inaugural address, Polk called upon August to re-establish the independent, treasury system under which government funds were held in the treasury and not in banks or other financial institutions. Under that system, the government would restore federal funds and falls in the treasury building and other government buildings where those funds would remain until they were used to fund the government. President Van Buren had previously established an independent treasury system, but it had been abolished during the Tyler administration. Under the status quo that prevailed when Polk took office, the government deposit its funds in the state banks, which could then use those funds in ordinary banking operations. Polk believed that this policy resulted in inflation, and was also philosophically opposed to involving the government in banking. The Whigs had wanted to create a new bank, national bank, since the expression of the charter of the Second Bank of the United States in 1836, but theirs had been vetoed by President Taylor, and Polk strongly opposed the reestablishment of a national bank. In a party line vote, the House of Representatives approved Polk's Independent Treasury Bill in in April 1846 after personally winning the support of Senator Dixon Lewis. The chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Polk, was able to push the Independent Treasury Act through the Senate and he signed the act into law on August 6, 1846. The system would remain in place until the passage of the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. Opposition of Internal Improvements Bills During Polk's presidency, Congress passed bills to provide the federal funding for internal improvements such as roads, canals, and harbors. Those who favored such funding, many of whom were Whigs, believed that internal improvements aided economic development and Western settlement, unlike tariffs and monetary policy, support for federally funded internal improvements, split the Democratic Party and a coalition of Democrats and Whigs arranged for the passage of internal improvement bills despite Polk's opposition. Polk considered internal improvements to be matters for the states and feared that the passage of Federal Internal improvements Bill would encourage legislators to compete for favors for their home district. Polk felt that such competition for federal resources damaged the virtue of the republic. When Congress passed the Rivers and Harbors Bill in 1846 to provide 500,000 improved port facilities, Polk vetoed it. Polk believed that the bill was unconstitutional because it unfairly favored particular areas, including ports that that had no foreign trade. In this regard, he followed his hero Jackson, who had vetoed the Maysville Road Bill in 1830 on similar grounds. In 1847, Polk Parker vetoed another Internal improvements Bill, and Congress would not pass a Senate during his presidency. Other domestic issues. Slavery. Like Jackson, Polk saw slavery as a side issue compared to other matters such as territorial expansion and economic policy. However, the issue of slavery became increasingly polarizing during the 1840s, and Polk's pensionary policy increased its divisiveness. During his presidency, many abolitionists harshly criticized him as an instrument of the slave power and claimed that he supported Western expansion because he wanted to extend slavery into new territories. For his part, Polk accused both Northern and Southern leaders for attempting to use the slavery issue for political gain. The divisive debate over slavery in the territories led to the creation of the Free Soil Party, an anti-slavery, though not abolitionist party that attracted Democrats, Whigs, and members of the Liberty Liberty (coughs) Party. California Gold Rush authoritative word of the discovery of gold in california did not arrive in washington until after the eighteen forty eight election by which time polk was a lame duck polk was laid, delighted by the discovered gold seeing it as validation for, of his stance on expansion and he referred to discovery several times in his final annual message to congress that december Shortly thereafter, actual samples of the California gold arrived, and Polk sent a special specimens to Congress on the subject. The message confirmed less authoritative reports caused large numbers of people to move to California, both from the u s and abroad, thus helping to spark the California gold rush. The California Gold Rush injected large quantities of gold into the u s economy, helping to ease the long-term shortage of gold coins. In enlarged because of this gold. The Whigs were able to whip up popular enthusiasm for a revival of the National Bank after Polk left office. Department of the Interior One of the Polk's last acts as president was to sign the bill creating the Department of the Interior, March third, 1849. This was the first new cabinet position created since the early days of the Republic. Polk had misgivings about the federal government usurping power over public lands from the states. Nevertheless, the delivery of the legislation on his last full day in office gave him no time to find constitutional grounds for a veto or to draft a sufficient veto message, so he signed the bill. States admitted to the Union. Three states were admitted to the Union during Polk's presidency. Texas, December 29, 1845. Iowa, December 28, 1846. Wisconsin, May 29, 1848. 1848 election. Honoring his pledge to serve only one term, Polk declined to seek re election in 1848. With Polk out of the race, the Democratic Party remained fractured along geographic lines. Polk privately favored Lewis Cass as his successor, but resisted becoming closely involved in the election. At the 1848 Democratic National Convention, Buchanan, Cass, and his Supreme court, Justice Levi Woodward emerged as the main contenders. Cass drew support from his both the North and South with its doctrine of popular sovereignty under which each territory would decide the legal status of slavery. Cass led after the first ballot and slowly gained support under, until he clinched the nomination on the fourth ballot. William Butler, who had placed Winfield Scott as the commanding general in Mexico City, won the vice president nomination. Cass's nomination many Northerners and Southerners, each of whom saw Cass as sufficiently as insufficiently committed to their position on the slavery issue. During the course of the Mexican War, Generals Taylor and Scott emerged as strong Whig candidates. As the war continued, Taylor's stature with the public grew, and he announced in 1847 1847, that he would not refuse the presidency. The 1848 Whig National Convention took place on June 8th with Taylor Scott, Henry Clay, and Massachusetts Senator Daniel Webster emerging as major candidates. Taylor nearly led Clay after the first ballot, and his support steadily grew until he captured the nomination on the fourth ballot. Clay bemoaned the selection of the ideologically ambiguous Taylor, who had not articulated his preferred policies on the major issues of the day. The Whigs chose former Congressman Millard Fillmore on New York as Taylor's running mate. In New York, anti-slavery Democrat faction known as the Barnburners strongly supported the Wilmot Proviso and rejected Cass, joined by other. Anti-slavery Democrats from the other States, the Barnburners, held a convention nominating their f- former President Martin Van Buren as their own presidential nominee, and Van Buren eventually became the Free Soil Party's nominee. Though Van Buren had not been known for his an- anti-slavery views while president, he embraced them in 1848. Van Buren's decision to run as- was also affected by Polk's decision to give patrons to rival factions in New York. Polk was surprised and disappointed by his former allies' political conversion, and he worried about the divide. The of sectional party organized around anti-slavery principles. Van Buren was joined on the Free Soil Party's ticket by Charles Francis Andam's senior son of former president and prominent Whig John Quincy Adams. In the election, Taylor won 47.3% of the major popular vote and a majority of the electoral vote, giving the Whig control of the presidency. Cass won 42.5% of the vote, Van Buren finished with 10.1% of the popular vote. More than any other third party presidential candidate at the time. Despite the grisly polarized slavery debate, Taylor and Cass both won a mix of northern and southern states, while most of the vampire support came from northern Democrats. Polk was very disappointed by the outcome, of, as he had a low opinion of Taylor, seeing the general as someone as with poor judgment and few opinions. Polk left office in March 1849 and he died the following June. Stay tuned for part three of US President number 11 uh, James K Polk